What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Read This Book podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Duncan. And I'm your other host, Matthew Meadows. And I don't know what just happened to my voice with that, but it was, it was, I hope it was exciting for you as it was for me. I was excited. At least confused. Yeah. (laughs) Just trying to keep you on your toes. It it, kind of looked like an exorcism was happening on the screen. (laughs) So uh, I was really shocked. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I try to keep it fresh, you know? You dabble. You dabble in fresh. I, I, I dabble in fresh. Man, if we made t-shirts, if we uh, made t-shirts, I think I would totally wear a t-shirt that said, I dabble in fresh. I dabble in fresh. <laughs> I don't know what the graphic would be or if it would it's, just be the just words text. across the chest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's fair. I, I mean, our logo is literally just, it's just is the just words. the words, bro, yeah. read this book on a background, which, which is I, just. I love it. Elegant in its simplicity. Yeah. I think so yeah. too. I think it's good. Um, hey, Steven. What's up, buddy? Oh, you, you know. How are you? Just. <laughs> Full disclosure, oh, man. everybody. Full disclosure. End of the end of the day here. Little uh, we're all a little tired. We're uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep it high energy for you folks though. Oh, at the very least, we're going to pretend to be high energy for sure. Give the people what they want, Stephen. They want very excited podcast hosts. Yeah. If they're not excited, it's NPR. And if yeah. it's NPR, it's got to be at the radio at eight o'clock in the morning on your drive to work, maybe. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, if this is anything like episode five, where we talked about The Hobbit, it's going to be a lot of a lot of feelings, a lot of a lot of things. That we I hope so. Here. I hope so too. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's also so as we are recording this episode five has not been released yet. Um, again, little little behind the scenes talk for you there, podcast listeners. <laughs> Sorry, I just felt like um, that was needed. So so when you said episode five, I was like, hold on, what's episode five? Because <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been released yet. And at least for me, I listen back to them when they release. I don't. I listen. I listen to most of them when I'm editing. Um, however, I also listen to it when it comes out, just because uh, I want to have the listener experience yeah. as well. I think now would be a good time also to mention um, we're doing a series, Stephen. We're doing a a Lord of the Rings. I don't know if we even said it in the last episode that we were just going to go through. Lord of the Rings and, and talk about it because yeah. I, I, uh, it, it's a series that means a lot to both of us, um, mm-hmm. for different reasons. Uh, and, and so if, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, um, I would definitely go back, uh, and either, either listen to that one first or, or go back after you listen to this one. Cause we got, we got kind of, uh, got kind of in there, brother, kind of like yeah. deep. Um, yeah. Which was awesome and, and w- w- was really good. And I feel like that was, uh, that was a really, really good conversation about uh, a, a book that we both love a lot, um, The Hobbit. And so uh, th- this week we're going to be going through Fellowship, um, book one of three of The Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah. And boy, does this book put lore in Lord of the Rings. Boo. You weren't ready for that. <laughs> I, no, I wasn't. Uh, that was atrocious. <laughs> horrendous that actually 
so if, maybe I'll just take that opportunity to like jump in with some thoughts. Does that does that work? Absolutely. Because uh, I was thinking about this just in preparation for for our conversation tonight. Um, just the the lore aspect of fellowship. So if you have not read this book, um, dear listener, uh, maybe the one sort of complaint that a lot of people have about Lord of the Rings and, and Tolkien's writing is how sort of uh, exposition and lore heavy it can be at times. But so this is, I've been rereading it in preparation for, for this series. And what hit me on this reread and going through it recently was the lore has a lot of purpose to the story itself. And so I was kind of contrasting that in my mind with something like the Silmarillion, which I'm sure we'll talk about after we finish Lord of the Rings. Um, but with Silmarillion, it, it almost reads more like an academic historical text that truly is just like the most massive lore dump uh, that you could that you could read. And it's great and I love it, but for very different reasons than I love the Lord of the Rings. And and when Tolkien does, you know, an entire prelude to the first chapter that's just concerning hobbits. Mm-hmm. And he goes into the entire uh, background and history and sort of sociology even of hobbit culture and hobbit society what I really realized that that did as I read through it this time was when you get into the first couple of chapters, which are Bilbo's birthday party where he's about to go away and, and all of that, uh, the conversations that he has with Gandalf and then the cam- conversations that Gandalf has with Frodo after Bilbo leaves after the party, they reference hobbits. They reference um conversations and habits and you know just different parts of sort of hobbit culture if you will and if you didn't have that prelude you wouldn't have any connection to what they were saying whatsoever but if you make it through that prelude when they reference things in their conversations in those first couple chapters or even when the story is just telling you like here's how the hobbits are interacting with you know, the preparations for this massive party. Here's how the hobbits interact with Bilbo and Frodo because Bilbo went on this crazy big adventure and Frodo's kind of a wild card and all that. Um, When they talk about that, whether it's in the story or in dialogue between characters, you immediately have this sort of uh, understanding and maybe even emotional connection to what's being said or what's being explained because you've had sort of this primer on the culture. And you see that repeated, I would say, in probably smaller ways throughout the rest of the book, where you'll get sort of this supposed like lore dump with just a lot of exposition and history and and so on and so forth. And it doesn't seem like it serves a purpose other than to just be lore and background, but upon further rereading you kind of understand like oh this gives me sort of an emotional and and practical in route to the conversations that these characters are having and so like even if i contrast that with something like 
uh, like Kings of the Wild. You talked about that a few weeks back. Um, I I recently read that as well, uh, giving you another point on the on the bro meter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the thing with that was, and I liked it for the context of that book, but they don't really take time explaining the history and the background of that world and that universe. Now, granted, it's a simpler story, so I don't think there's as much to sort of understand. You kind of just go along for the ride and, and you get it as you go, you know. But with with this one, uh, the, the main characters are interacting with so many different cultures, so many different uh, races of of people, um, you know, so many different locations that to just go through each of them and not have any kind of background or explanation of those cultures would, I think very much take away and give sort of a hollowness to, to the whole story. And so it becomes this very rich experience when you get through, you know, two, three pages of like, here's the background on this specific group of elves. So like in the first half of the book, as, as Frodo sets out on his journey, uh, they run into this group of elves that are, are going West to, to sail off to, is it Valinor? Mm -hmm. And, um, and they run into them and, have a lot of conversations, get some help from them, get some directions from them, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Tolkien takes, you know, two, three pages to sort of explain here, like here are where these elves come from. Here's where they're descended from. Here's who they're related to. Um, you know, just kind of explains this one sort of rogue band of elves that are just traveling and they don't interact with the story ever again. Um, but it enriches the conversations that they have with, uh, Frodo and, and his friends. And then it also enriches the experience of when they get to Rivendell later in the book as well. So it kind of serves this dual purpose of, um, giving that moment in the book a lot more depth, but also building in depth to later moments in the book that you don't even really realize until you get there and for me i didn't even realize it built in that depth until you know a, another reread of the book um, yeah. and i i think Stephen, like kind of what, what you're describing is is what i would call like world building like what mm -hmm. a lot of people would would consider to be the main if not the main draw for lord of the rings a, a very big draw is the world of Middle Earth, and 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 you can't have a world without people, and you can't have people without history and religion mm -hmm. and science and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's really cool that that Tolkien is is able to create this uh, living, breathing world that we also don't really have a whole lot of context for outside of the outside of the books, because mm -hmm. a lot of times I feel like we'll read a book and we'll be able to kind of imagine imagine our world or our, our culture in that story i don't necessarily think that lord of the rings is like that i think that there's a lot of otherworldliness that comes from middle earth um that a lot of fantasy just doesn't have mm -hmm. and i think that that's a huge point um and, and i'm glad that you brought this up because this is actually something that i was going to bring up as well so it's we're killing two birds here um 
I, I think that concerning hobbits, which is that, that the prologue um, it is kind of a masterclass. And how do you make somebody care about, um, about what's going on and not, not even as much care, but just be aware of what's going on. Cause if you start telling me about someone turning 111 and I have no, like, uh, no context <laughs> for the kind of person that they are or the kind of thing that they do. Um, I'm going to be like, that's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And I just, I just wanted to piggyback off that a little bit because that was something that I, I was going to bring up too, just like the importance of not only concerning hobbits, but also just like every time we learn about a character or a, or a conflict or, or like a historical event um, from first, second age, we, we get a lot of context for kind of, kind of what's going on, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that kind of to piggyback off of something you said, as far as, you know, a lot of other fantasy kind of draws parallels to our world, or you try to bring your own world experiences into it. Um, a lot of other fantasy that I've read very much heavily relies on either parallels to our world or the assumption that you will bring your own stuff into it. But what Lord of the Rings kind of demands is, hey, leave your stuff at the door. Like, I've got you. You're going to be in this world now. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it kind of becomes the like purest form of, of escapism. And if there are themes or values or sort of emotional resonance or inspirational stuff that you gather from the story, you're allowed to just relate to that purely from the story uh, rather than, you know, this is similar to the middle ages or this is similar to rock bands in the, in the case of Kings of the wild. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that's really cool that Tolkien created this whole world in which you can just kind of escape into and you don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to bring any of your own stuff into it, any of your own context into it. And I think that's what makes it endure and what makes it so accessible is that no matter what generation you're from, uh, you just kind of have to check your bags at the door and then go in the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's just, that's a really cool aspect of the whole lore and world building that the Tolkien does. I would say particularly in fellowship, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, I think that I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. So that kind of sets up that, that portion of the book and, and how we feel about that. Um, I would say we have to address the Peter Jackson sized elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Cause obviously like one of the most successful film trilogies of all time came from, from these books and, um, and now a, a successful and ongoing, you know, TV show as well. So like it, it, you know, we can't just not address that stuff as well. And also like my, I think I talked about my first exposure to the Hobbit and it was one of my, you know, first like full novels that I ever read when I was a kid. I could not get through the book of the Lord of the Rings when I was a kid at all. Um, 
before we started recording, I had mentioned to Matthew that um, I think I maybe made it through chapter 10. Uh, and I was like skimming half of that, if not more. And just kind of just kind of gave up. Couldn't do it. Couldn't stay. My little ADD brain couldn't stay engaged with it. And uh, so I grew up with the movies. And those were like very formative in my life. Um, I spent six or seven years, something like that, building sets uh, for theater productions. And the probably entire reason I learned those skills and got into that kind of thing was because of the special features from the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings, where they talked about um, where they talked about building the sets and talked about building the locations and how they did it and why they did it the way they did it and all that kind of stuff. It just had this massive impact on me um, visually. And I literally carried that into what I did for a job for several years of my life. Um, so they, they just had this huge, huge impact on me and my personality and who I am and, and what I did. And um, there are significant differences, though, between the experience of the films and the experience of the books. And so, like, first things first, the films are, I, I have a favorite, but all three of them are 10 out of 10. Like, I think they're all three perfect no notes. They're great. Um, but this does speak to sort of the density of the books that as great and even as long and expansive as those films are, there are significant portions of things that get left out um, so that they can just make even a three or four hour runtime. They still have to leave out just significant chunks of either story or world building or, or stuff like that. And for fellowship, I do feel like the most significant portion that got chopped from the films is in book one of fellowship. So the first 10 chapters where uh, you start with uh, getting ready for Bilbo's birthday party and then getting up to them arriving at the city of Bree and the end of the prancing pony. And in the movie, that's like, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes in the book. That's almost the first half of the book. Um, so it's like 25% maybe of the movie and it's yeah. at least 50% of the book. So there's just a whole lot of stuff that just isn't even in the film, but it's, it's so cool and it's so good. Um, what, what are your thoughts kind of in, cause I have more on that, but what are your thoughts kind of in contrasting fellowship, the book to fellowship, the movie? Yeah, I, I think that's so I read the book first before I watched the movie. Um, so I have the opposite experience of a lot of people. Um, yeah. Because I, I, like I said, and like I said in the previous episode, I, I didn't read any Tolkien until I was an adult. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, as, as far as like the compare contrast of, of, of the book to the movie, um, I remember not to be that guy, right? Um, I was like, oh, in the book, it was like this. Um, I just remember there, there, there being a couple of things, and I really do miss the whole um, 
the whole kind of adventure before the adventure from Fellowship. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel like the first half of, of, of Fellowship is really cool and really, really impactful for the story. Because um, I, I, I think Sam, Frodo, Mary Pippin, you, you you start off the book kind of thinking, oh, they're all hobbits. They're kind of going to be pretty similar. You know what I mean? And you learn a lot about each of those characters in the first half of the book. In the first half of the movie, you don't really get that same kind of, um, I don't know, that same kind of connection to those characters specifically, right? Um, yeah. And I think that that builds as you watch the movies, and I think you learn you learn a little bit more about them and kind of kind of who they are and their personalities. But I think I think the book does a really cool cool thing where it creates. So I, I heard someone uh, Mike's book reviews on YouTube. He was talking about the Hobbit. He was like, a lot of the dwarves are kind of similar, um, almost to the point where they're like the same. Um, and I think that you kind of go into fellowship thinking that, okay, hobbits are kind of similar and they might almost just kind of be the same. Um, but I, I, I think it's really cool that as, as, as we learn uh, about our, our main cast of characters in the book, we do learn that they have a, a wide range of personalities. And I think that that's cool. And I think that that is for me, what I miss the most from the fellowship movie. Um, mm. Not even that it isn't necessary, you know, like not, I don't know if the movie would be better for having another two hours in it. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I, I do think you, you miss a little bit of that um, when, when you don't kind of expound on, on, on characters as much as the books do. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I, I think that's my, I remember that being my main kind of, um, again, not even like criticism of the movie, just like observation almost. Yeah. Um, I have, I have, more to say about other books and movies um yeah than i have about the fellowship movie um mm. so well and it, and i won't go too far into this because maybe we can talk about it more next episode but i would almost say that a lot of the character building that the book fellowship does for those four characters gets punted to yes. the yes, two towers movie yep yep which works in the in the scope of the films but because of where they are in their adventures yeah the personalities pretty well develop in the right direction but you don't have them developing together in the same way um and so it's just different like it's a different vibe entirely it's kind of like if you have a friend that you grew up with and then had some, you know, young adult adventures with, you know, as you were, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever, and then didn't see them again until you were 40. And then, I don't know, you start a business together or you, you know, do some kind of project together or something you like reconnect. And, and then there's that, that's very different from, meeting someone at work in your late twenties or early thirties and becoming good friends with them. And then, you know, still being connected in your forties. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the difference I think in the movies and the books where you get much more of the 
the character building and relationship building of those four hobbits early on before things have gotten like really, really bad in the story. Yeah. Um, and so when they reconnect, it's just a different feeling because you have more of a grasp of the contrast from where they started and their relationship where they started and where they ended up and reunited together. And so even, and again, this is, this is other movies, but like when they reunite in return of the King, it's a very different feeling in the book versus in the movie. And again, both are effective, but it's just, it's very different. And I do think in, in hindsight, I kind of prefer the way that the book goes about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I do think like to the contrast for me really is, is noticed. And when the, the, in the breaking of the fellowship, mm. um, I feel like in the movie, right? Like you just have a different sense of that, the, that it is a fellowship. Um, I, I feel mm-hmm. like in the, in the book, you really just like, especially the hobbits, man, they are just so tight. Um, yeah. And like, uh, and I, I just don't know if you get that in the same way in the movies, um, mm. which is again, it's, it's fine and it's not that big of a deal, but, I do think that that's kind of a, a another point for the book is just like I really feel like that that relationship develops a lot more uh, in the direction of wow this is going to be really difficult for everybody involved <laughs> when yeah. when this is not a thing anymore uh, yeah but yeah yeah I don't know yeah I would agree with that especially I think around the character of Aragorn mm. um, because again in the movie from his introduction to when they get to Rivendell is so fast. Um, But in the book, you get so much more time of those four hobbits, like learning to trust him and then kind of bonding with him as a person. Um, You learn more about who Aragorn is. You actually get his actual name in his introduction to them. Like, I don't know. You just, he's a deeper character faster and the relationship he has with the hobbits is deeper in the book than it is in the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you're right on with that. I don't, I think Legolas and Gimli just kind of get screwed over across the board. I <laughs> Like, I, I want to say like, Oh, it's so much better in the book, but like they don't really have a lot to do in that either. there's more there's you know you get a little bit more backstory on Gimli and his culture and his lineage and same with Legolas but as far as like what they do in the story and how they relate to characters in the story and I would honestly say maybe the movie even does a little bit better on sort of the mini fellowship of Aragorn Legolas and Gimli later on but again that's a two towers conversation I would need to I would need to think about that because I'm not yeah. on the, off the top of my head. Hot take. I'm not off the top of my head agreeing with you. Okay. But I'm not also disagreeing with you. So I don't know. We'll, I'm, I'm, we'll have to, I'm we'll have to prep for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked a lot about when, when we talked about the Hobbit, kind of the emotional impact or like the, mm. maybe like the, 
impact of like the values that kind of the Hobbit um, instills. Um, how do you feel about fellowship from that lens? Um, man, I really, I really relate to the Shire and that sort of simple, uh, secluded lifestyle a lot. Um, you are a recluse, so (laughs) um, that's a joke, by the way, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not. I'm in my basement right now. Um, <laughs> it is 9.30. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. PM, for clarification. Not in the morning. Um, That'd be strange. No, but I, I grew up in a small town in southern Illinois, farming community, um, very different pace of life, very different exposure to you know, just sort of the, the wide world and what was going on, um, just much, much simpler and much slower. And then when my family moved to Kentucky, we spent 18 months, maybe two years living in the city. And then we moved, you know, 20 minutes outside and we were next to another small town and not even in, but next to, you know, we lived out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And so that sort of pace and um, culture, I would say, feels incredibly relatable to me and what I knew. And so the whole journey of Frodo as he's sort of called upon to do this thing and it requires him to leave his home um it's just i i relate to frodo a lot more again in the book than i do in the movie um but i just there's just something to that and being called to do something that is incredibly hard and even though you have sort of this longing for adventure and this longing to like get out and see stuff and do stuff when you're actually called to really get out of your comfort zone and interact with the world in um, a more serious and complex way, that's scary. Um, And I, and you talked about this earlier as far as, you know, the whole like pre adventure almost where they're just getting out of the Shire. Um, What you see in that section of the book is, almost like the training wheel section where they are being pursued by enemies. They do run into just weird, crazy supernatural stuff. That's, that's terrifying. But I think it, it all kind of culminates in the whole, uh, Tom Bombadil and Barrow White's, uh, situation that they run into. And Frodo has this moment and it's very similar to Bilbo and the spiders, uh, in Mirkwood in the Hobbit. But he has this moment where he basically uh, he's been captured. All his friends have been captured and he thinks that this is it. He thinks that this is the end. But for the first time in his life, he finds this, this courage seemingly sort of just out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. but you kind of realize it's, it's part of who he is. Yeah. Um, 
and he finds this courage to sort of just steal himself and um, take one last shot at getting out of the situation. But not only that, but do it in such a way that he's helping his friends as well. Cause he also has a moment where he's like, I could put on the ring and disappear and just bail. And like Gandalf would probably be cool with it. He would understand. And like the mission is, is much more serious than, you know, my companions. But then he's like, I truly can't do that. Yeah. I have to try to save my friends as well. Um, and so it's this huge moment of character growth uh, but for me, especially on this last time going through it again, I was just like, man, if that's not so um, just similar to growing up and some of the first like really hard situations that you get into as a young adult um, where you have to start making decisions of, am I going to be courageous and am I going to be brave in the face of whatever I'm I'm fearful of or whatever's, you know, kind of attacking me or coming after me or whatever I have to stand up to. Um, am I going to be brave and courageous and stand up to that? Or am I going to lay down and die? Am I going to lay down and let it do what it's going to do? And am I going to, um, am I going to sacrifice the people that have chosen to be a part of my life? Am I going to sacrifice the people that have gone on the journey with me to save my own skin? Um, and so for me, especially just on the reread, um, Frodo's sort of call to action and response to it is so beautifully written because he does express a lot of fear and he does express a lot of apprehension about going on this journey and doing this thing and and this whole conversation between him and Gandalf happens way earlier in the book than it does in the movie where he's like man Bilbo should have killed Gollum he should have never found the ring or he should have thrown it away somewhere and I wish that it had never come to me and I wish that it had never I wish that I didn't have to be responsible for this because yeah. I literally just got it in an envelope like I yeah. didn't choose this but it's in my lap and I have to deal with it why and and Gandalf has that that epic and sort of famous line of it's it's not up to us to choose the times that we live in, but it is up to us to decide what to do with the time that we're given. And um, and so you see that being sort of this foundational thing that Frodo carries with him to sort of find courage as he faces all these different situations to say, not only am I going to step up to this task that I've been given, but I'm also going to be a person of character as I do it. And I'm going to help my friends and I'm going to, um, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it the right way. Um, and so that was just, that was just really, uh, impactful for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it resonated a lot. Sure. What about you? Yeah, man. So I, I think, I think for me, something that, that fellowship does 
incredibly well, and in my opinion, is the, the the conversation of like, okay, here are the stakes of what you have to do. Here is every bad thing that could possibly happen. You still have to do it. And it's kind of what you were talking about. It's like, we, we don't often get a choice between... It, the choice isn't to, to do something or not do something. The choice is to do something or to deal with the consequences of not doing that thing. Um, mm. And so, like, if Bilbo says, you know what? I'm out. Can't do this. I quit. What happens to the ring? What happens to Middle Earth as a whole? What happens uh, to his friends? You know what I mean? Like, but that's not the conversation that I feel like we have a lot of times with ourselves. Like, do I do this or do I not do it? But but what Frodo is, I think, thinking a lot of the time when when the book is. Um, at its most pivotal points is like, if do I do this or do I sever the consequences of not doing it? And I think that we see mm-hmm. him kind of learn um, that that those consequences just don't outweigh the the cost of doing the thing. Um, so it's like, if I don't get this ring to Mount Doom, everybody dies. <laughs> like everybody is dead. Um, yeah. Not even just the people I love, but also everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And the Shire, the Shire, which I love so much is gone. Um, it's also, if I don't leave the Shire with this ring, the Shire will be raised to the ground and it will be no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of, Yeah, I, I think for me that was one of the big things that I, I, I took away on, on first read was like I, I don't want to live with the consequences of not doing things. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's a, that's a huge message here. But I also think another message is like I, I, I think it's, it's cool because we do have all the different races and all the different characters and they all have different personalities and they all respond to the ring differently. Um, and so it's like, how do you, how do you approach adversity and how do you respond to temptation or adversary, whatever, whatever. So a good example of this is Boromir. Boromir by all accounts is a great man, Hmm. great person, Mm -hmm. loves his people, loves, uh, loves middle earth, wants to do the right thing and his mind, he cannot get out of his mind that having the ring is the right thing to do. Hmm. Even in times that he feels like, okay, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. He still feels the temptation of the ring. And so even though he's this great man and he has all of this stuff going for him, he still succumbs to a great temptation that he just can't, he can't do anything about it. He is not powerful enough to stop that. Um, yeah. And I think I th- and I think a kind of juxtaposition to that is Aragorn. Aragorn could very well follow down that same path that Boromir does. Um but he doesn't. And it's not because he's a better person. 
And it's not because he has like higher values than Boromir. It's he understands that that the task is more important than what he might think is correct. Um, mm. And I think that that's, that's a cool kind of thing to think about too, is like, that doesn't mean Boromir is a bad person. Like, Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have the same mindset as the other people in the fellowship. And I think Frodo Frodo sees that and Frodo says, okay, I have to leave because I don't know how everybody else around me will react to this. And I don't want to put them mm-hmm. through what Boromir just had to go through. Um, and I, and I think another one is like Gandalf Gandalf knows that if he has this ring, he will be the most powerful being um, mm-hmm. in the world. And it would be so easy. It would be so easy for him to say, Bilbo, give me the ring. Or Frodo, give me the ring. And he would. Um, but he but he doesn't. And he and he, he goes out of his way to not get it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that that is like, that's where, where fellowship really stands out to me. Um, even more than like Two Towers and, and Return of the King as being just a very like, internally internal conflict kind of book um yeah because even even at the council of elrond nobody's really being helpful um they're (laughs) kind of just like well here's what i think here's what i think we should do here's what i think we should do um yeah and and it and it takes frodo saying give me the ring this is my responsibility i'm taking it and we're going to do this thing um, for people to stop like shouting over each other. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think that that, that for me was, was super impactful too. Um, cause, cause it really just reframes a lot of stuff. I think when you think about it that way is like, yeah, I have to think about the end goal here. Um, mm-hmm. Like I can't just rush into things based on my gut or based on like, temptation or whatever i have to think about long-term effects of the decision i am about to make yeah because um, if uh, l- l- let's say that boromir does get the ring it sits in uh the vault in gondor for a while but then somebody hears it and is like ah let me go get that thing <laughs> you know denethor is just eating cherry tomatoes <laughs> with the ring with the ring on you know what i mean yeah um so it's that might like, even be somehow more disturbing no yeah because he's he's he's, he's invisible <laughs> yeah <laughs> well at least we wouldn't have to see it at that point imagine that scene but you can't see you him can't see. you can see what the tomato is doing and how it's dripping <laughs> but you can't, can't see, see him i Ooh. somehow think that might be yeah, worse I, I, I think you're right um <laughs> And see, like, that's a consequence. We'd have to see that. We'd have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there's there's a lot of weighing of the consequences in, in Fellowship. Um, mm-hmm. And even when Frodo's like, I have to leave, I have to go by myself, I have to do this, I can't bring anybody else down with me, this is going to be really difficult. And Sam is like, hey, man, I get it. But also, no, <laughs> I'm going to come with you. Um, yeah, I, I think that like, I don't know. And there, there's a lot to un- kind of unpack there of just like loyalty and friendship and all those themes. 
Um, but I do think it kind of boils down to like, okay, well, there is this one thing that really, really needs to happen and somebody has to do it. It might as well be me. Yeah. It is, is a real, is a, is a real valid, like, if that's all you took away from this book was like, okay, sometimes there are things that we have to do mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't want to do them. I think that that would be a very, very valid takeaway from the book. Yeah. Um, I had something else to say, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> An- oh, another thing I think that the book does really well in, in like, kind of juxtaposition with the movie is in the movie I almost like I almost don't like Boromir because I'm like I feel like the movie kind of tries to make you not like Boromir (laughs) yeah Um, or at least be suspicious and yeah to create kind of that that internal tension within the fellowship but I just don't know if that's in the book the same way that it is in the movie um it's not yeah well i think in the book you get more of a a balance you get his relationships with everyone you get his history you get more of his motivation you resonate with his motivation more and this goes back to that conversation we had about the lore Mm -hmm. and the world building if i don't think that boromir is a good person to begin with and he's annoying and arrogant and all that stuff I'm not really going to care when he dies. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to be like, Oh wow. Shouldn't have been dumb. Uh, (laughs) but like, I don't think that's what Tolkien is, is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I think that he is, well, also you gotta, you gotta remember too, the whole thing about men in Lord in, in middle earth is that they like, they don't live forever. Like, like they, they have a very narrow, view of the world and, mm-hmm. and of, of of history and, and the future. So for Boromir, of course it makes sense that we have to get this ring because it's the most powerful thing ever and my people are dying. Yeah. Like the, the race of men will fall if we don't do something that something better be build up a military powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and he just can't wrap his mind around the fact that that is not the best way to go. Um, but I don't think that Tolkien's trying to like blame him or or put any kind of like uh, shame on him. I just think that uh, he he just couldn't he couldn't take the heat, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I think just sort of in closing. Um, if you like the movie, you'll like the book a you'll lot like more. The book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not because the movie is bad or wrong, but just because everything that's good about the movie is like just as, if not 2x better yeah. or more deep and expanded upon yeah. uh, in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And uh Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a classic for a reason. And I think, I think that is, is something that I also want to, want to talk about for a second. People, people say that this book is really like hard to read because it's, and I I think that dry is the word a lot of people would use. Mm -hmm. 
I get that. I really do. Um, but I think if you go into it with an open mind of like, oh, I've never really read anything like this before. I understand mm-hmm. that it's wordy and I understand that things are, are um, maybe to some people too detailed. And you go into that trying to like get what you can out of that instead of being like um, coming at it from a standpoint of like, oh, why, why does he do this? Like, why is the book like this? Um, I think that that's a really valuable thing to think about before you start reading the book it's like yeah. i understand that this will be difficult to read but i want to get through it um but also you don't have to you don't have to like it so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> just to, to clarify yeah yeah i'm not saying push through the book if you don't like it i'm just saying give it a fair shake it's one of those books that's really good to take your time on um I, it took me a few months to get through fellowship the first time, but I remember every time I would sit down to like read a chapter or something, I would just, I had an experience with it um, because it draws you in so well. And because it, um, you know, because it builds that world and brings you into it and gives you characters to relate to and identify with and, and all of that, like you, it's not something that you just burn through. Yeah. You know, and we'll think about th- this, man, for us too, like being who, who we are, having read more Tolkien outside of Lord of the Rings, think about how much richer the experience of reading Lord of the Rings is now mm. that you have all of that exposition from first and second age Middle Earth. Yeah. Like, I, I think for me, like, at, at this point, having read a, a lot, a lot of Tolkien and a lot of Middle Earth literature, it's it's a it's a completely different experience. Even watching the movies is a different experience. Um, yeah, because you just have you just have the the tools with which the, to to interact with the world in a different way. And so I think mm-hmm. like if you go into reading Fellowship with like, okay, I want to learn what is going on here. I want to kind of get a deeper understanding outside of just the narrative, I think you just get so much out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that would be my encouragement to anybody who hasn't read Lord of, Lord of the Rings and is maybe intimidated by it due to age or, or, or like complexity or it's complexity is maybe not the word that I would use, it, it, but it is harder to read than like a hot, like the Hobbit or something. Yeah. Um, it's just dense. Um, but like I, my encouragement would be, just give it a shot with the mindset of I want to know more about this universe and this world. Cause I, I, I really think it's worth it. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. I would totally agree. All right. Well, I think about that, that might do it for, it's about that time. They're giving us the light. Um, They're playing us off. Amen. Amen, brother. Um, yeah. So as I usually say, there are several billion podcasts that you could have listened to, but you chose to take approximately 52 minutes to listen to ours. And as the music begins to slowly play in the background that you've come to know and love, I would just like to say thank you for 
spending your time with us because time is the most valuable thing you have. And it's very humbling and deeply appreciated by us that you chose to spend it listening to us talk about a book that we really love. Hopefully you really love it too. And if you haven't read it yet and you decide to read it because we told you to, how cool would that be? And please tell us if you do. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, I just assume if you've ever listened to a podcast in the last couple of years or watched a YouTube video, you know the things that you could do to help out this podcast. Um, so I'm not going to talk about them here. If you don't know what to do to help us out, uh, you can either shoot me a, a direct message on Instagram or shoot Matthew a direct message on Instagram or the show itself if you don't follow our page, you could do that and then give a direct message on Instagram and we'll tell you what to do. Apparently we do that too. We have a, we have a tic-tac. Uh, the old tic-tac-toe. The old tic-tac-toe. The cow jumped over the moon. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> if you like the show, help us out. That would be awesome. Thank you for spending your time with us. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.